0: Our topic today, very interesting, some unique impacts of the Tax Reform Act on churches and parking. Our guest today, Chapri Lamaglio, Vice President for Government and External Relations with the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, otherwise known as CCC, from that land of acronyms, Inside the Beltway. Chapri, uh, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today.
1: Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you.
0: So, you know, those of us who look from afar and pay halfway attention, we know that when big bills are done, there are often, you know, little devils hanging out in the details. One of the details of the recent tax cut last year has to do with parking.
1: Yes, you're right. I know this is indeed one of those little details. In a very big, complicated bill that was passed very fast... And as you say, sure enough, there's going to be things about it that people missed or didn't see or didn't understand how it would play itself out. So this is a new provision that would newly require nonprofits, so nonprofit hospitals, nonprofit colleges and universities, but also churches and religious soup kitchens and other religious nonprofits to have to pay taxes on any parking spaces that they offer their employees. And so when you kind of picture, this can range from, which we can talk further about the details, but from something very complicated to a massive church with a parking garage to something as simple as a rural church in Kansas with a little parking spot that says for the pastor that's having to now pay taxes on that spot. And so um, there are a number of reasons why this is troubling, which we can talk further about. But that's kind of the overall gist of this new um, kind of bizarre provision in the tax code.
0: Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, good luck, IRS, collecting taxes on parking spaces. Good luck, uh, you know, letting people know that they have to pay them. But, you know, even for those organizations that are large enough and paying attention, and have a culture of compliance, and certainly churches and religious institutions generally do act responsibly when it comes to complying with their legal obligations, what are the ramifications for them?
1: Well, I think there are three major things here, Alan. Um, one is that this is a newly, uh, it just has incredible administrative burdens, um, this was There was nine days notice between the time this passed and the start of the new year when it went into effect. And so all these organizations that already had their budgets um, planned, there was just no time for them to kind of pivot and plan for this new expense. Still to this day, here we sit on October 17th, and there's been no guidance given by the IRS about how this exactly is supposed to work. And meanwhile, nonprofits have been supposed to have been making quarterly payments all year, and so they're already behind, and yet there's no mechanism to make those payments or guidance about how much you owe or how to pay, et cetera. And there's a lot of confusion about the space, is is the tax based on the cost of the space or the value of the space? So I mentioned the value, I mentioned that rural, maybe church in Kansas has a one parking space that really would have no value if you tried to rent that space out. No one would want to rent it versus perhaps a nonprofit in New York City where there is value to those spaces. Is it based on that or is it based on the cost of how much you have to actually pay to keep the parking lot up and pave it and put lines on it? And does that include lighting? Does that include security? There's a lot of questions about what you base the tax on. There's a couple of other administrative problems, Alan, also There's a $1,000 de minima threshold, if you're under which you don't have to file the form. But most organizations have to pay more than $1,000 to an accountant to figure out whether they have to file the form or not. So there's just this incredible administrative burden that's just kind of illogical in that case. And then finally, there are actually jurisdictions that require you to provide parking for your employees or a parking benefit for your employees or a transportation benefit. And so now the federal government's going to be taxing something that, for instance, you mentioned we're here in the Beltway in Washington, D.C., that the District of Columbia or other local jurisdictions actually require an employer to provide. So there's some other problems with this, Alan, which we can talk further about, but those are just some of the ways in which this is administratively um, really problematic.
0: Well, you know, I see this as kind of symptomatic of the way our government is working, or or maybe I should say not working terribly well these days. And I guess my first question is, um, what are the prospects for actually getting Congress to fix this and take this out? Because my guess is, and it's an educated guess to be sure, that uh, this was not exactly intended in the tax bill. It kind of got in there. I'm not sure if anybody really knows how it got in there. But, you know, I would think that if Congress could actually focus long enough and say, yeah, this isn't a great idea, let's get rid of it, they would want to if if they even are functioning well enough to to get the job done. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So, Alan, I'll say it. You're right, and then I wish you were right. You are right that there are a significant number of members in Congress who, once this was brought to their attention and the implications of it, have found this to be deeply troubling and are working to repeal it. Where I wish you were right is that this had accidentally slipped in. I wish that you were right that this was something that was just completely an oversight. But actually, that's not the case. There were um, members um, and very high places in this tax process that wanted this provision in there and still to this day are defending this provision. Why do they want the it? logic there? Yeah. The logic there in their mind is trying to create parity between a for-profit and a non profit. They're saying, well, if you're a for-profit hospital and you provide parking to your employees and you have to pay taxes on that, then so should the nonprofit hospital. The difference, of course, here is that a for profit company, any excess revenue that it has, returns those as dividends to their shareholders. A nonprofit, any excess revenue they have at the end of a year, returns that money to their mission, to serving their community. So at the end of the year, the for profit hospital, with the revenue they have, their shareholders receive money. At the oh. end of the year, the nonprofit hospital, if they have extra money, right. they get to put that the next year towards serving more patients who otherwise wouldn't have had medical care. And so the idea that there's a parity, what the thing about this is, is it's like the camel's nose under the tent, right? Because the whole rest of our tax code, of course, says there's absolutely not that for-profits, not-for-profits are not the same. These are different. For-profits, therefore, pay taxes and non-profits don't. So this is really, well, this is on the one hand about a parking space. On the other hand, this is really the camel nose under the tent that for some members who actually seem to maybe want, are moving in the direction of maybe wanting for-profits to have to pay taxes. And of course, if you're someone who maybe has more conservative political inclinations, this is troubling because you're actually saying, let's siphon money away from for-profits to raise money for the government. And if you're someone who has, you know, very sympathetic to the good work that nonprofits do in a community, the food they provide, the housing they provide, the medical care they provide, that otherwise wouldn't be able to provide it, you're actually saying, let's take money away from those nonprofits and from the mission they serve in order to pay for, you know, to return, again, to return money to the government. And I think that the other part about where there wasn't parity in the tax code, Alan, is, of course, for-profit businesses received a tax cut. Nonprofit businesses and nonprofit organizations, of course, don't pay taxes, and so didn't receive a tax cut. So for-profit businesses received the benefit, and nonprofits now are having to pay the cost.
0: So what I thought at first was a relatively sort of minor religious freedom issue that was kind of one of these sort of, you know, human interest stories, it turns out is actually a big deal in terms of uh, signaling a philosophical shift in governance, which I agree with you is very troubling but just to be clear and you know I know you're neither your or my organization are partisan uh so I don't ask this question you know from a standpoint of partisanship, but I would think from what you're saying, it would be Republican leadership that are the heart of defending this, because they're the ones who are in control in Congress. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, I wouldn't say Republican leadership. It is Republicans who are both defending this, but also who are opposing this. Sure. So the member who's the biggest supporter of this provision is indeed a Republican, as you say. But we also have Republicans like Senator Lankford from Oklahoma and um, Congressman Mark Walker, who are leading the charge uh, in opposition to this as well. So we're grateful for their efforts to um, try to get this undone. So here I only, show, can I say one more thing? Sure. You brought this up as a religious freedom issue. I'm so glad you did that because you're right. This is a religious freedom issue. So far, we haven't talked about that part of it. We've only talked about the tax piece and the mission piece.
0: Well, but our show is focused on religious freedom. That's why we're That's doing right. And that's why topic. we're talking
1: about this. Exactly. Because, and so for your listeners, I think uh, a couple things. One, you know, taxes on the one hand are about money, but on the other hand, they're about power. And that's why Daniel Webster argued way back in 1819 in McCulloch v. Maryland that the power to tax involves necessarily a power to destroy. And so we have to take this very seriously because for all those churches out there, the vast majority of churches in the country and do not not only do not pay taxes, but do not file a 990. Because with a 990 comes disclosure of certain information that you don't have to disclose otherwise, right? With paying taxes, all of a sudden the government, if they want to put you out of business and you have a political enough political will to do that, you can actually put churches, you could conceivably put churches, put not religious organizations, put certain kinds of industry out of business with excessive taxation. And of course, With churches and religious nonprofits, that would be a violation of the Establishment Clause. They are constitutionally protected. And so it's vitally important because if all of a sudden churches, again, camel's nose under the tent, all of a sudden churches are on the hook for paying any kind of tax, they can be on the hook for paying every kind of tax. And that's why this is, while on the one hand it's about a parking space, it's on the other hand about a huge philosophical shift in the way that we view the appropriate use of the government's power of taxation.
0: You know, I'm really glad you gave that speech, Chapri. And I'm thinking, you know, in, in the decades that I've served here in California, we have seen a number of tax issues arise both from the left certainly attacking the tax-exempt status of religious bodies on ideological grounds, but also, frankly, um, from local government wanting to find ways to tax churches. Now, the courts have held certain kinds of, they call them assessments. They're not property taxes as such, assessments for street lighting or, you know, I don't even know what all they assess for. But uh, uh, I I know that churches here in California are paying some of these assessments. They're not huge amounts. But you're right. The power to tax ultimately, you know, if our churches, for example, had to pay property taxes, many of them would not be able to do so or it would completely Stymie. they wouldn't have any money left over for anything else.
1: That's right and that's why it's such a vitally important issue for churches for religious organizations we have to push back on the notion that they are exactly the same as the for-profit business down the street both in their mission and in their constitutional protection.
0: We have gone over time talking about a parking tax. Our guest, Chapri LaMoglio, vice president for government external relations for the council for christian colleges and universities shapri thanks for being with us on freedom's ring today
1: thanks alan great to be with you
0: and this has been freedom's ring i'm your host alan reinock until next week let freedom ring